1: And when I started running I suppose I didn't stop and when I got the chance to go I said I stay going so I opened up. We're running the small little fish out there so we are and we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the brakes you're the smaller
2: fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just I'm delighted that the lads the lads did it for the people of Warford today because like I I'm heart I'm heartbroken. So awfully are the champions led by Michael Bond. It's been a long, long season for them. The fans have travelled every part of uh, the championship with their team. And the side that got beaten in the Leinster final have come good in the final of the All-Ireland itself. So there you go,
0: Jerk Hanning. The side that were beaten in the Leinster final have come good in the All-Ireland. And it's not just coming good in the All-Ireland. It's their journey back to the All-Ireland, Brian, I suppose. It's like, I mean, that Leinster final loss just kicked off a whole lot of, uh, a
2: series of incredible stories throughout that summer. As Hubert Rigney said, we we came in through the back door, but we're going out through the front. Um, <laughs> Yeah, brilliant line from Hubert. A man, of, a very few words, but uh, he spoke very well that, that day when he received the cup. That um, was the first ever backdoor win, obviously. It was the first ever All Leinster, All Ireland final. We had an All Munster one the year before. Yeah, it was amazing that when they did bring in that qualifier system, you know, only in 1997, that we saw an All Munster final in 97, All Leinster in 98. Um, you know, it looked like Munster was so dominant, but uh, it was an amazing, kind of, way, just the way it turned out. But as you said, from the Leinster final, whatever five or six weeks thereafter was just crazy you know from babs keaton um being given the road strong leadership from brendan ward as county chairman uh johnny Pilkin, you know came out in an interview and uh you know didn't spare babs and 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 in no. fairness to brendan ward he, he backed him um you know and then when well, he was Barden right came his- in he
0: was right I suppose not to spare Babs like I mean Babs washed his hands of any responsibility from losing it was almost uh, Mourinho-esque he says my job is to teach and show them what to do but it appears to be falling on deaf ears I'm not being listened to like Christ almighty how how
2: did he expect that to go down? And the problem was is that the players weren't over enamored towards Babs because he didn't do very little in terms of coaching or um, or, or anything hands on in terms of the sessions it, there was a a famous rumor going around that Bab spent more time practicing his chipping on uh, on the the um the grass bank in O'Connor Park than he did actually watching the training sessions. So, you know, you can see why the players probably and the likes of Johnny came out very strongly against it because they they weren't happy with the overall setup. Um it just wasn't a good fit. Babs keeping coming in, you know, taking over awfully. And then Michael Bond came in and nobody knew who he was, um, least of all the players. And you know, Michael obviously was a principal in, in Loch Ray and, and well respected um in those parts of the world, but not not very well known on, on the greater Berlin landscape. And um, you know, the players said when he came in the first night in the train session, they didn't know they did no idea uh, anything about him, but he came in, he was soft spoken but very, very positive. And, you know, the players speak very, very warmly about him from that regard. And, you know, by all accounts they trained um five nights a week for, for two or three weeks. Um not not overly arduous train sessions, but just working on their first touch and working on their, their skill and, and bringing that back to the fore. And I think that was one of the things that, that Michael Bond uh focused on was, was reminding these players that they were a hell of a good team and and some serious hurlers in, in, in their midst and just probably re, reinvigorating them and, and getting that confidence back into their hurling and you know this stuttered over Antrim but um, against Claire, the first day it didn't look like you know they were at the races. Claire looked very dominant, but a late rally kind of got awfully back into that game. Again, the sem- the, the replay, um, the second game, Claire were were quite dominant for most of that game. A bit of a you know a rally again in the second half, but nowhere near enough. And it looked like Claire were were going to see out that game until that you know fierce, unfortunate moment for for Jimmy Cooney because yeah. You know, It's, you know, you do feel from him. He he was a great hurling man. And, you know. He never left again after that. Never left again. And would you know, well, he actually was, um, he was actually marking my dad in 1981, I learned. And I didn't realize that many years later. And, you know, he he, he was a a fierce, genuine man. And, you know, I've heard a, a, a podcast since where, you know, they spoke about the abuse he got from, from people you know from yeah. Offaly and, and from Clare and wider hurling public and they had to put their phone in private and you know that that was sad times when you hear that type of things for, for what's only a game of hurling and you know he didn't want to pull that up early it's just a, a genuine mistake but you know it led to what a, a circumstances you know the the invasion onto the pitch by all the Offaly supporters I was there well, myself well, coming down out with the key was
0: Oh, don't worry, we're going to get to that in a minute because I want to go in chronological order because before we got to those Clare games, there was a whole lot of shit kicking off in Munster where Waterford and Clare drew the Munster final and then decided to kill each other in the replay.
2: Yeah, absolute mayhem. And, you know, look, Nan and uh, his management team, you know, Tony Consign and Mike Mack, the Watford you know Gerald McCarthy and the selectors they're like did one each they were ready to go yeah, to talk on to the fight line them, yeah. like you know they were going to go fighting if it needs to be let alone the players <laughs> so you can imagine how ramped up the players were and sure look Colin Lynch just lost the plot he was in a haze there for about 30 seconds he sw- swung every such sort of way and he hit everyone Clare men water men everything the referee was lucky he was out of the way um, he got know, all three
0: lads he got Tony Brown I think it was Quealy and he hit Ollie Baker across the ankles as well like it was
2: mad <laughs> stuff <laughs> It was mental. But uh you know, the fallout from that obviously, because, you know, the the lies upon lies from a Claire perspective about Colin Lynch and the you know, the where his granny dying and then having to come out and say his granny didn't die and you know, he obviously faced a, a, a subsequent ban and so did Joe looking and Brian Lowton was sent off so he was suspended as well. So it was just it was just Mental, all the talking yeah. points that year. It really was a, like a glorious year. Oh, it was reporting. an un- unbelievable summer and a beautiful, beautiful
0: weather. And all these games were going on in sunshine. At, well, maybe not the Waterford Clare one, but Nan said going into that replay. I've, l- reading this quote is just crazy stuff. Like, like I've played Intercounty for a long time. He said it, it was like going to war you just didn't care what was going to happen to yourself individually. It was the only time I ever understood how soldiers could go out into battle and not be afraid of dying. I was like, what planet is Loch Nan on? Like, I mean, like this was in his book.
2: It's unbelievable, isn't it? I suppose it gives an insight into the, into Jair's mindset at the time. Look, he was hugely driven and just, I suppose that, that first day something had triggered in him, you know, and, and probably something was said that just... Yeah, like a red rag to the bull and there was just no way that that was going to happen the second day and there was well, no he one
0: said, Yeah, Lough-Nan says that one of the Waterford players called one of the Clare players a, a wife beater or something like that. Now, you know, that's his side of a story and this is what he was uh, saying that they were going out to avenge this the second day or something on those lines.
2: Yeah, and look, I suppose like Annie, uh, you don't know the truth in that as you said it, there's one side of it but like Annie good manager um, or, or good leader they will find a cause and they will hold in on it and they will you know make sure that it's at the forefront of the of the players when they're going out the next day we've all been in dress rooms where that's some lad said or someone said this about you know one of your star players or about the team in general um, and you just tone in it and that just becomes the drum that you beat for you know the week leading up to the game so um, whether it was said or not you can Im- you can imagine them doing it all right
0: yeah, and then Lachnan obviously went crazy about Colin Lynch. Like you touched on that, his suspension. He got suspended for three months, so he was gone um, for all the off the games. Nan did his best to try and get him off. Like, you know, the reality is he was swinging like a wild man in the throw in of the replay. That's an iconic moment in GEA where he's letting Tony Brown have it. And it's not really his form, Colin Lynch, to be like that. But like, I mean, he was acting like a mad man possessed. And the referee went over to talk to Nan. And as he went over to Talk Lockman, Lynch started lettering into Tony Brown. Tony Brown puts his
2: hands up going, What the hell is going on here? Tony Brown didn't have any interest in this. No. I just it, yeah, again, like Colin was just the head was gone. It was as simple as that. Like it was just Yeah, the head was gone. Yeah. You know, it wasn't even that that isn't war. That's just, you know, just gone. Red mist has taken over you and <laughs> to hell with the consequences you'll deal with them after because he just was possessed, as you said.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely worse. So let's go back then. You obviously mentioned the first replay. Claire got a late score to equalise that then. They were destroying Offaly the second day. Offaly made a great comeback, got it back to within three. Jimmy Cooney blows it up uh, three minutes to go in normal time. What would there have been of injury? At least two or three. So probably five or six minutes.
2: Yeah, early. I think what, what he said is he pulled it up thinking it was a 30-minute half was his explanation for
0: it. Right, so there was five minutes left on his yeah. watch. yeah.
2: Right. Okay. So, like, I
0: mean, the reality is, five minutes left, clear, three points off. They'll take that all day long. Only then you came down out of the stand and sat on the pitch, and the game <laughs> couldn't continue on.
2: <laughs> well, to be fair, uh, the Jimmy Cooney was ushered off the field by a couple of stewards in in you know suits and and sunglasses, and it was a really strange moment. And it it's it's one you look back on, and you have to scratch your head over. You know who sent them out? Or you know usually it might be guards or whatever. But they, they ushered him off over towards you know the the corner where the the canal meets the Cusick stand and you know there's a couple of supporters go run over and give him abuse michael died actually runs over and gives him a, a, an earful as well and you know it was just kind of um a real surreal moment so they couldn't even organize to try and get the, the game back and get it played because he was ushered off the field so quickly and then a few um, rogues, we'll call them, came down out of the stand and started to call all the awfully supporters down. And lo and behold, the whole stand just empties and out onto the field. And it was just—it was just mental. Um, you know, every awfully person that could possibly be there went out into the field that day and sat on the field and just called on on you know some sort of action. Eventually, actually, Brendan Moore, I think it was uh, as chairman, had to go up into the. Hogan stand where you present the cup and, and you know, talk to the offly people and say, you know, <laughs> calling them... To, you know, it was almost all rallying the troops because he was like, we will have our day and, and Crow Park will listen. You know, so the crowd were going mental. It was like paying for blood. um, You know, so I felt actually there was an under-21 All-Ireland B final supposed to happen yeah. after that game. It was supposed to be Kildare and Kerry. And yeah, you did Paul Galvin was playing in that. Yeah, and they... Um, some of them actually were in the tunnel and uh, in the Hogan stand the old dress rooms and they were ready to come out and you know some of them actually came out into the field um, just for a few pokes and to see what in the hell was going on so I remember lads borrowing hurls off to them and scoring pints in Croke Park and all this sort of sort of go home and tell people about it so it was just a kind of a real surreal thing you know the, the fans were there for maybe a good half an hour afterwards sitting on the on the field and chanting and um, you know eventually I suppose they got they got their way and we got a replay got the replay ah look they probably, when
0: when Cooney admitted he was wrong they probably had to get the replay then obviously win the replay um, down in Turles and end up winning the final Brian Whelan scored 1-6 after being changed to full forward well 1-4 from full forward we'll talk about him in performance of the weekend and we'll analyse it in part 2 but he had the flu and Michael Bond said afterwards he was inter- interviewed directly after the full time whistle. He says Brian Whelan had a terrible flu. He was on very heavy medication. His legs were totally, totally dead. Jesus Christ! His legs didn't look <laughs> totally dead to me. Um, Gary Hannafy, Marty Morrissey said on the sideline reporting that he had a touch of the flu as well. He was
2: taken off in the first half. Luckily enough, they didn't take Brian Whelan off. That's a fact. They were quick enough to move Mo half um, half back as well because. Brian McAvoy started well um, and, and sniped a couple of points off him and had a wide and you know he hurled really, really well but just before Brian was moved out wing back he he stopped the ball on the line. You know, PJ Delaney had pulled the ball down um, it was a crossfield ball from Ken O'Shea he was in the top of the right and uh, Peter Delaney had really well controlled and pulled on it and it was Brian Whelan that was on the line stopping a certain goal and the ball was cleared out the field so Brian McAvoy obviously was in acres of space and Brian just didn't get out to him in time um, to cover him and McAvoy got his second point and within seconds you know he's, he's moved up to wing forward but you know I, I, I think at the time you know Marty Morris even even says you know they went down thinking that this was applied by Offley to get wheeling up in the forwards and in fact it was to get him out of the backs The they really weren't happy with his performance at half back
0: right okay we'll leave it there Brian anyways because Joe Dooley is after joining us on the line Joe we're talking about the lads having the flu uh, when did you know they were sick um, Brian especially well uh, I'll be, uh,
1: to be perfectly honest with you I didn't know he was sick at all um, it was kept it was kept very quiet um, Colin you know I think um, right. he, he 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 was obviously sick in, in the couple of days prior to the game and and he said that himself afterwards but, uh, but the rest of the team well I wasn't aware of it anyway I'd have to say and and the same with with Gary Hannafy. I suppose, like like coming into an All Ireland final, you know everything. I suppose there's a lot of pressure on players, and there's a pressure on your immune system and everything. And, and and everyone is trying to mind themselves, and you know. So obviously Brian picked up something, and what um, I'd say it, it was a kind of a close enough kept secret. Really, I didn't. I personally didn't know he was sick. Actually, right, because
0: he didn't look like he was sick on the field. Like I know McAvoy got a couple of points off him, but the, he wasn't giving him that bad of a skin, and I didn't think
1: no but I say but obviously the our management knew he was sick because yeah. um, they could they could see that he was struggling and obviously he knew himself he was and I I was just looking at a an interview I think on his, on his, at the weekend there where he where he was interviewed immediately after the game and he he actually thanked the selectors for not taking him off because he felt that he really should have been taken off on the day. And, and you know, and, and, but, but then when he got, when he went up front, then he got a new, you know, he got a new lease of life, probably a little bit of pressure, off. You're in a new position and, um, and he, he got a second wind and sure, sure, the rest is history then. I know he, he, um, even he, he, I think he moved up, uh, yeah, in the first half, he got a brilliant point, um, not not long after moving up wing forward. You know, he was, he was kind of, um I suppose it it, it freshened him up and gave him a new lease of life. And Brian McAvoy was kind of on fire the same day as well. And Brian was a speed merchant, and you want to be on your toes to keep with him at that time, you know. So, and moving Michael Dignan back then kind of worked in Michael's favour as well, too, because he he had often kind of played in the backs with, with, with his club and at football level. So, when he got facing the ball on the day as well, it kind of helped his game as well. So it, it was it, it was a great move by the selectors, I'd have to say, in fairness to them. And, and sure, it, it, it was one of the main reasons we won the All-Ireland final, you know.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely was. Come here, it, I'd say that 1998 summer, it was a lovely hot summer. It was one of the craziest summers hurling has ever seen. Between, like, you ye, ye made up a lot of the stories coming out of that year. Clare, then you had Clare and Waterford killing each other. Down in the Munster final replay. Then mm-hmm. we had, you, it's, it probably started off, which the, the controversy started off after he lost the Leinster final. And the sheep in a heap is the obvious quote. But what yeah. Bab said, yeah. and the, but like, I mean, what, what Bab's really just threw you under the bus. He said, My job is to teach and show them what to do, but it appears to be falling on deaf ears. I'm not being listened yeah. to. You know, yeah, like, totally, yeah. totally, yeah. you know, t- not taking any responsibility himself. <laughs>
1: back a bit in I column like, 98 was like we had won 94 we we should should have won maybe we thought 95 Wexford beat is in 96 the beat is again in 97 so we, we had won that in 94 98 was a huge year for us and Babs came in and Johnny Murray was his physical trainer and you know they left no stone on turn, in fairness and we trained probably harder that year than we ever trained we were doing we used to start off with a 3k run down in Bannerhur in mucky heavy ground and do a lot of work in between and finish with a three K run. Like that, that was the hardest training that team ever did. And right right out to the spring we were doing it, you know, and, and we, we played I think we played Mead in the first round and we got over Mead and then we played Wexford in the next game and, and in ninety eight, of course it was the 1798 anniversary and um Wexford were really up for it that year and they were going for three in a row to beat us as well, having beaten us in ninety six and seven. And in and ninety eight we, they kind of led us all through that game. And with maybe five minutes to go, Brian Whelan took a free and he lobbed it into the square. And and the ball hit the ground and Johnny pulled on him and, we, and stuck it in the net. And we beat Wexford by I think a pint or two pints. And that was that was kind of the the look look was kind of with us from from that from that day on. Then you know we kind of we got over Wexford and we were kind of maybe lucky to get over them. But the, the the training sort of stood to us. Then we went on and we played Kenny in the final. And I think the score was three nine to fourteen points. We actually had more. We registered more scores in Kilkenny albeit they got the three goals. But we only lost that game by I think four points. And the Sunday before the match, um, we trained in O'Connor Park. And normally, as you know yourself, a Sunday before a big game, it's just a a, a good competitive game for seven for maybe sixty fifty five sixty minutes, yeah. and then you kind of you're 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 keeping yourself fresh. But when we finished our hurling we started to do this physical training session and it was we were running up and down the hill in O'Connor Park in Tullamore. We used to we used to sprint from the from the the wall up to the top of the hill, jog back down, sprint up. We did that I think for about fifteen times or nearly twenty times in a row the Sunday before the Leinster final. So it was nearly like we were trying to stop a team winning, to be honest. But um and I'd say we, we all did what we were asked as usual. But the I'd say our our selectors and, and even behind the scenes weren't were overly happy with, with that kind of preparation, if you know what I mean. Right. We were used to being being fresher going into the game. But anyway, when the match was over, obviously Babs had his outbursts as as you've as you've outlined there. And I suppose that that was probably the, the straw that broke the camel's back, I'd say, and um he he obviously didn't had the new trainer in within a few days. And I'd say okay the players weren't happy with what we said but I think I think our management and our county board I'd say hadn't been happy even prior to the Leinster final with the way preparations were going you know and kind of the the type of training that we were doing right Um, okay so so then so then I'd say Michael Bond then obviously arrived on the scene I don't know we we, we were scheduled to trade the following Wednesday night or Whatever, and I was I was I was there early. I'd say I, I was I was always early because I live in Tullamore, and I was pushing on at the time. And I it, it always like to to be there on time. and next thing I'd forget who else was in the dressing room. it could have been, I think, Killian Farrell or someone. And Michael Bond came into the dressing room and he took off his jacket and he hung it up on the hanger and started to take off his shoes. And myself and Killian looked at one another. said, "Who is this fella? Where is he after coming out of?" You know, and um, he says, uh, "I says." Um, Says any harm? Says any no. What way says any harm? to you who you are. You know, and he says, "I'm your new trainer." Like that, you know. And I said, "Well, if you are," I said, "You better introduce yourself." You know. He says, "My name is Michael Bond." He said, and uh, so that was that was the first I heard of him, or in my first introduction to him. And that was and that's that's fact. And um so he trained us from there on. Then, and he was just he, he was just a, he was a kind of a breath of fresh air. He's just his positivity, and we went back to complete kind of awfully hurling as we know it kind of moving the ball fast and ground hurling and kind of um, you know it was the training session from the minute you were out in the pitch to the time it finished you were on the move all the time It was and I, like prior to that I was playing corner forward in the training sessions and the ball wasn't coming in Johnny Dooley was poking it over the bar and Gary Hannafee and all having a great time and we in the side in the full forward line were getting no ball you know and no one could see anything wrong with that so when Michael Bond came in it was all kind of ground hurling for the first three or four of my tongue was hanging out the ball was coming every minute and you were trying to <laughs> get out first to it and you know it was just like I'd say my own personal fitness levels would have went way up kind of in, in the space of um, a couple of weeks but and he also upped the training levels we went from kind of maybe three nights a week up to we were doing kind of five and six nights a week we did several consecutive nights and it was all ball work and all moving the ball quick and it was kind of what, what we had been used to anyway under Eamon Cregan and, and but added to that then we had all the physical training done and we had the we had to work, we had the strength in the legs, if you know what I mean. So right.
0: um, And come here, John did, 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 was Babs trying to coach the ground hurling
1: out of you? Well, he, he just he was he was it just wasn't his style like, you know, he was kind of more into carrying it and you know, that that kind of um Position hurling, I suppose you call right. it, and he—I don't think it was—it just wasn't—it wasn't kind of the Tipperary way, if you know what I mean. Like it was just, and he, he's, whereas we were into more flick it on and keep it moving, and 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 kind of anticipation, knowing what the guy in front of you was going to do, and be and be reading it, and you know, like it was kind of simple hurling we played, and. Um, I just know myself anyway, like the ball was as I say, was coming every every two minutes it was coming in, you know, and coming fast and you were, you were just sprinting out to it and whereas before it wasn't, someone was getting a handy point and you know, whereas it's better to keep the ball in play and keep everybody working if you can generally, you know. And um but then as you say, Michael Bond came in and we, we, we went down to play Kilkenny about maybe a week after the the Leinster final. For 10 days he was after it was his first his, like when we were only after playing Kilkenny I think it was for I, some yeah, it was in mad, Park anyway
0: that was a mad thing to do I was reading that the hammer is in a
1: challenge the hammered is in a challenge but, but worse than that Johnny, Johnny got a belt as well and he got a lot of stitches and a broken cheekbone and so, like, the, that was, that was like adding, adding kind of insult to misery. We were, we were kind of, he was our, like, our key player at the time himself and Brian Whelan It was our two, or would be our two standout players. And so we, we thought we were going to be without kind of Johnny then for the rest of the year. But we got, we, we played Anstrom anyway in the first of the qualifier games and we got over them. And then our first game then was against Clare and Johnny got was back for that game, but he wore a face guard for the first time ever and he played corner forward but as a kind of a third midfielder so he wasn't in a kind of a man to man marking role and that was purely because of his injury. But like Claire in the meantime Claire had been playing Watford in the Munster Championship and you know, they were hopping off one another down there and then you had the whole Jar Lookman affair and the, and all of that and the, the sendings off and the and the Colin Lynch suspension and all of that was kind of happening in Monster at the same time. So like I suppose the pressure was kind of off us and we were coming in under the radar a little bit. But we knew ourselves we were we were enjoying our hurling and we were starting things were starting to come right for us and we sort of said, Right, we'll have a right cut off clear, you know, like we've nothing to lose here and then the first day we played him in Crow Park we, we we should have beaten him. Like they got a they got a point free in the last pocket of the game to level the game and um, but then in the second the second replay then was the was the following Saturday week. It was after the Omaha bombing and Claire Claire hit the ground running that day. In fairness to them, we our bus got held up in traffic coming across the city on the Saturday and it just we 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 only had about 15 or 20 minutes in the dressing room before we got out. The pitch. It was just rushed and Claire nice. had hit hit the ground running that day. And I think they were up by maybe. 10 or 12 points at one stage in the match there were ten,
0: then, yeah there were 10 up at half time and then you started coming back there were 10 else. up at half
1: time uh, yeah and I think they might even have got the first score the second half but, but at half time the selectors made a lot of switches to, to kind of um they made a lot of positional switches and they brought in Billy came on at halftime as well and they just we kind of maybe finished that match with a stronger team than we started it and we got back into the game George got a great goal and then Billy scored a goal and we you know Johnny Pilkin got a great point we were we, it was, we were all shipping in the next thing we had it back to three points and Jimmy Cooney blew up early and um like at the time I didn't realise that he had blown early but in fairness to him, some of the players, I think Michael Lieberman in particular, and even Martin Hanamy knew that he had blown up early, so maybe they were spending time looking up at the clock or <laughs> trying to win matches. But, <laughs> but but anyway, but in fairness to them, they were they 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 um they got onto Jimmy Coney straight away, and of course everybody went mad in the stand as well, and of course that led in obviously to the supporters and the stadium and the field and all of that, so.
0: Yeah, so that? like, a, like I mean, you, you, you <clears throat> three minutes of normal time left, and it would have been a bit of injury, and you were flying back. Now there was three points in it, so no one, no one will ever mm-hmm. know what would have happened in, in. Those. But Correct. I presume, I, I presume Claire would have preferred just to play on,
1: just to tell the referee, look, we'll play on the extra five minutes here. Now we're three points. Well, up. Uh, well of course, towards yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there was. I think what happened, I think by the looks of it was that Jimmy Cooney said three minutes injury time, or thought he did, you know, and. So he, he there was so based on that there was at least another five minutes to go. Now we were three down. I'd rather I, if it was a Beckham man, I'd back Clare in that situation. To be yeah. honest, you know, even though we were going well, but so it was just like we were fortunate to get the replay And I think Jimmy Cooney wanted to re, wanted to continue on and play the last five minutes, but I think just events overtook him really with people coming onto the field and then I think Claire and Kerry were playing an under twenty one game and they they had come out on the pitch as well. So. Just, um, but in fairness to him, he admitted straight away that he had made a mistake, and I suppose once he did that, the GA had no real alternative but to give a replay. Then you know, like normally yeah. when that happens, a referee will write a report sometime later, and it'll be it'll be written in such a way that, that it'll suit that it might suit um, everyone involved. But in this case, he had sort of put his hand up and said he was wrong, and so um, and then obviously with the sit in. Like there was no choice but to give a replay, and I think Joe Lockman realised that too fairly fairly quickly. And as was you, yeah, was
0: but the, you didn't know, you didn't know until the Sunday morning um, that she that the replay no, was no, going
1: we did so no, sure. Yeah, correct, and I even but but. But if you were a kind of in, um, just practically thinking about, it, it was a good chance we were going to get one, and we we went out to the we were staying in the spa hotel for for a meal after the match, and so we went up to the premium level and with a rake of pints, and we all dehydrated. It's not like now where you get hydrated <laughs> after games; we we hydrated ourselves with, with 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 free drink that time, which is worse than than, than any drink. And um, then we went out to the spa hotel and we had our meal, and after the meal there was a meeting called and. Um, a team meeting, and of course, everyone was was kind of had a few pints in them, and or most people had anyway. And, and the kind of the discussion was, would we train or not the following evening, you know? And I think Johnny Pilkin didn't want to train, and someone else um, <laughs> had problems with something else. Michael Lightman hadn't got a gear bag or a polo top or something, and he had a problem with that. So, a whole lot of stuff came out with that. <laughs> but, but next thing, um my brother Billy stood up he says, I'll be there tomorrow evening anyway, Michael, he said so and walked out and that kind of ended the meeting. So we we had agreed that we would train on the Sunday evening anyway unless we were told otherwise. But the following morning word came through that we had um that we had um a replay and it was going to be in Torus to follow the following um Saturday. And um, so when Michael Dagon came in to say in the following evening someone threw him a bag or something just to lighten the boat anyway. So kind of, um it, so that was kind of the and, but, but from that minute on then we were I suppose we had we had the, the all of the Offaly support behind this column because they had felt they had an ownership in nearly in, in Offaly winning the championship then at this point yeah. after doing the sit-in and the biggest number of tickets ever sold for an Offaly game was sold for that game in and, Um and I think Christy Todd the secretary of the time said we sold something around 15,000 tickets for that match in Torles. Jesus and, uh, and even you know, going into Torlis on the, on that Saturday, like we were in we were in Hayes's hotel before the game, which which was wasn't probably a bad move. When the hotel when the bus drove into into the square in Torlis it was absolutely packed. It was like as if there was a concert or something on, and everyone was banging the side of the bus. This was on just on the way to the to the hotel for a cup of tea and a sandwich before the game and but we were, we had been, we had gone down to Torless that the Wednesday of that week for a puck round and, you know, the the mood was good with everybody, you know, we, had, we were after playing the two games against player and we were still in the championship and everyone was behind us and, um, I suppose we were getting stronger as well too, like, to John Try had been injured and Johnny Pinkerton was kind of carrying a bit of an injury as well and, you know, Billy was back in the team. We were just, we were kind of getting better with every match as well to be honest and, right. um, so, and, and i think on that day in Turles we had a, we had probably had a lot of the nutrition support as well for some reason and that helped too you know and um thank it you must have we got been over been it, it must have been an unbelievable feeling
0: everybody banging the bus like the whole country was kind of talking about this you know it was the three game series and then yeah. the sit down and then the replay in Turles on a lovely sunny day like i mean you were on fire i think i think there was only
1: one team going <coughs> to win that win that third game yeah, and I remember even we, we, I forget there was a game on before our match that day, and I think it, it, it might only have been a club game or something. But I remember watching it, which, and and as we turned to go into the dressing room, a number of the stewards wished us luck, you know, which was which was <laughs> unusual. But but from our from our point of view, it was um, like we were playing the Munster champions. And in fairness, Clare had a brilliant team that they were double Munster champions, and they were also all Ireland champions. And to for for us to go down and say beat to be. A monster team in as monster champions in their own backyard it was probably the first time it was ever done by a Leinster team, and it was there was you know it was it was a sweet picture for us, and it kind of made up in some way for ninety five as well, you know. So we kind of uh, so it was kind of I suppose all square between ourselves and Clare after that game, and um, and even like on the day, column like we won by three points but we were we had a bit of luck as well. Like in fairness, Stephen Burns made a couple of brilliant sales before the finish as well, and if any of all shots had gone in, you know, anytime you win an All-Ireland, you have to have luck and like we had it that year, we had it when Johnny scored a goal against Wexford, I suppose we had it with the with the Michael Bond coming in and then with the, you know, in Torless as well and with Jimmy Coney blowing up early, there was a number of different factors that, that yeah. helped us to win that All-Ireland but, but, but the main thing was we had trained harder than we did any other year, and we'd lost to we had lots of good orders. We had orders good enough to win in All-Ireland. There was ones we didn't win, like we lost in 95, you know, by the skin of our teeth, and we won in 94. Then you have to have luck to win, you know, and that's the bottom line. I played in 85 in Galway. Galway had a goal in the second half. The ball went in over the line and hopped back out, and but there was no cameras that time or, or Hawkeye or anything like that, thanks be to God. And, we we had no to win back there as well, you know, so. right? Yeah, you need to you need you need a bit of luck,
0: Kabir. I suppose the neutrals were rolling in beside behind behind you guys because Nan was on the warpath that year, and Clare had gone to town and Waterford in the replay, and maybe they weren't everybody's uh, favourite team
1: that summer. Yeah, like a, as a friend of mine said, Clare went from being the most, un, the most popular team in Ireland to being the most unpopular within nearly two years, for some reason, you know, it was just a and a lot of it was kind of to do with that. Um, I suppose the I suppose the Gerlach-Nan thing and the Waterford games and that they didn't come out well out of that. But um, so that's the, that's the way it goes, I suppose. You know, like when we when we played Clare in in '95, um, every county in Ireland was shouting for Clare. You know, and that's yeah. that's sport. You know, and um, and 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 that probably got Clare over the line that day as well. I will never forget the roar when they came out on the field in '95. You know they had the same have Everybody shouting for them. Whereas in '98 in it was the, the tables had turned. You know and um, so that's the way sure. Um And so we were delighted to get through. And I suppose once we beat Clare, it, it was brilliant. But it, it, the jo- the job wasn't finished. We still had to go on and beat Kilkenny. And and luckily enough, the game was only two weeks later, so we didn't have much time for any kind of uh, for too much back clapping or anything so we were back training fairly quickly I think and the one we chose tonight and we probably had a media night and then we were nearly we were nearly up to game time then so and um, through the final then you know it was was, 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 we were back against Kilkenny who we played in the Leinster final but in during all that time I think they only had the one game whereas we had the Antrim game and we had three games against Clare we had four games to their one and we were a a much improved team from the Leinster final and um, I suppose that's kind of the way it turned out in and find it, you know. Yeah, your names
0: are your names are written on it. I'd say so. You're the only man yeah. in Offaly with three All Ireland titles. A sure, a sure well, the 98,
1: no, surely the '98. surely the ninety Go on. Yeah, the Joe Jim Troy has three as well now. But Jim, but Jim I, has it. Yeah, three. He has three, yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Jim played. Jim was a sub in '81, and he played in '94, and um, he played in '85 as well. Yeah.
0: All right, okay, okay. I don't know I don't know where I got that one wrong, but surely 98 was the sweetest one when you take everything into account.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I, I um, At the weekend there, I looked at the 85 All-Ireland. with this COVID you know, virus. You're starting to look at things that you'd nearly never look at. <laughs> and that was a great win back that day as well. And But 94 was obviously very sweet, you know, with, with myself and Billy and Johnny playing on the forward line. It was kind of a unique thing and very sweet for my mother and father, especially, you know, like... The, um, but for me, I suppose ninety eight for me personally would have been the the one I got the most satisfaction out of. Um, you know, it was just we played eight games. Um, you know, it was the ups and up and down of the year, like to beat Clare in Torles, to beat Kilkenny in a final as well. You know, like um, so, it's just it was just and he, like if you, even if you go out to the, look at the final column. It was, you know, we we had luck that day as well. Like, we, we deserved our win. We were deserving winners and we won by six points and we could have won by more. But, um, like, Joe he got a brilliant goal and set up another one as well for Brian Reel. Yeah. And, you know, like, he was... And, and Brian getting sick and moving up and playing so well up in the forward line and Michael Dyker being, you know, settled in and did a great job at wing-back. So, it kind of... Just when, you, when it's your turn, it's your turn, you know, that sort of way. And um, and it all it all helps, you know. So, um, no 98 probably would be the one that would um, like we played we played double the amount of games we played in 94 or 85 so in that year alone so
0: yeah incredible stuff but well, come here Joe thanks very much for, for looking back on it with us um, we'll talk to you again
1: no bother at all no bother at all yep. alright cheers thanks Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought that up now because (laughs) there's no such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, you do. No, we don't. Um,
0: But But let Jamie talk at a at a Hurley launch one day. Yeah, but hold on a second now. He was at a Hurley launch,
1: you know. Yeah. You know, there's a media ban if he can't talk at that. Absolutely not. I think you guys need to do your job. Don't depend on us guys for quotes. You know. Okay. But 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 Aaron, Aaron, you're living like the rest of us. But if he's
0: at a media day and he says to the media that I'm not allowed to talk, then Uh, he's obviously on a ban. Well, I think he's carrying a mixed message. So Offaly, 2-16, Kilkenny, 1-13. Um, this was a killing... It was interesting, Brian. Kilkenny won the toss and decided to go against the wind in the first half. And there were two points up at halftime. So I'm sure they would have been very, very, very happy going in at halftime, even though Offaly probably got the
2: nicer scores in the first half. Yeah, they did. And, and Charlie Carter's goal, you know... Things looked ominous for Offaly, you know, at that stage, because you know Offaly had had started brightly. Um, they looked like they were going okay, but then Charlie got a goal, and, and you know, Kilkenny obviously were renowned for scoring goals, and um, Carter looked to be at his best and, and and sniped that goal. He actually, when he rose, it it looked like he'd made a mistake because he he didn't bring it into his hand, but it just fell lovely to him on his left hand side, and he whipped on it. leaving Stephen Byrne, no chance.
0: Well, I and, was going to ask you about, I was going to ask you about that. He tried to rise it, or. Did he try to get it up off the ground to get a bounce on it so he could pull on it better, or am I overthinking
2: that? Um, I'd say he tried to raise it into his hand. Yeah, right. the way the way the way it worked, obviously, he, it, it just you know it bounced lovely and and he whipped on it. But yeah, to me, it looked like he tried to raise up his hand. But I know I know what you're trying to say. Um, but you know, it did look like you know Kilkenny, as you said, had done enough with the wind. But you know, the wind was even in the first half. I I did it. I did strike me that it seemed to be swirling because. It, lo- it looked like Offley had it and then it might look the flags were going the other way and then Marty or I think it was George Hanning said um, you know at the start of the second half it looked like the wind had turned around and, changed, and favoured yeah. Offley again so uh, it clearly did with the flags in the Cusick stand side where the camera was looking into so um, maybe it was just a, a little bit of luck on Offley's perspective but it did look to be kind of a hard win to judge that particular day um, yeah as you say Kenny looked to have done enough in that first half but but uh, you know Joe Joe Erty, um, was had done well on Pat O'Neill Pat O'Neill had conceded a couple of points in play but Canis Brendan was hurling up a storm I thought at centre back he had he had completely yeah. dominated John Try um, John really he got a fantastic point but that was set up by Brian's you know brilliant he turned I think it was Liam Kion or Tom Hickey I think it was inside out and a lovely hand pass over to, to John Try but like Hannes Brennan who I thought was excellent there um, for maybe 45 minutes it wasn't until Joe, Joe Erity got his Erity went out on him yeah
0: but the, the thing about Michael Bond he wasn't he, he was very quick to make changes like I mean Whelan was put into the forwards very quick him uh, back obviously before the game they moved Johnny Dooley into midfield nothing too major um, about that, but the minute Canis Brennan caught two puckouts in a row, try was put inside and Erity out on him. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, like some
2: some managers might wait till half time. He was fairly quick on the draw with these switches, and he was. And like Gary Hannifey was lifted as well. You know, when they brought in potty Mulhair, and Polly it, it, it took a a while to get into the game, but he had a big influence in that second half by dropping deep, in particular. Yeah. He dropped, you know what nearly modern day half forwards are doing. He, he he struggled to keep his feet um, at times, but you know, he won a lot of ball and won a lot of hard ball and you know just kept the ball moving a huge amount. And Michael Kavanaugh had started really well in Gary Hanniffy, but his influence faded as the game progressed. And uh, you know, Poddy Millhare did quite well from that perspective. So you're right, the, Michael Bond did really well from, from that perspective. Um the probably the, the one loser of all the switches was Joe Dooley because he started really brightly, got a couple of points. Yeah got one a corner forward, got one a full forward and then had to move out into the wing to let Brian Whelan in full forward. And, you know, and Joe's kind of influence on the game kind of it, it definitely lessened in the second half when he was out with wing forward.
0: Right, right. I get you because he got two lovely scores at the first half and looked like he was on song. Dignan got a lovely one in the first half. Um, uh, John Troy actually gave Joe Dooley a lovely pass, a uh, weighted pass for one of his points. And then Brian Whelan gave Erity a lovely ball in front of him. You know, like lovely yeah. measured ball, not clearances. Ball, yeah. Uh, for another point, so I did think I did think Offaly were played the better the better stuff. Like DJ and Brian McAfee change wings uh, before the start. Why do you think that was? Because surely Kevin Martin would have been a, a, a tighter marker than Brian
2: Whelan, who would have been more of a classy hurler. Because it was a legacy thing, and <laughs> people won't like to hear this, but it is a kind of um well taught uh, idea here in Offaly that Brian Whelan always had DJ Carey's measure. You know, and right. they've proven that up and down through the years that Brian he relished Mark and DJ. You know, they they came up at the one age, they'd hurled schools against each other, minor, under 21, and, and senior, obviously. And they 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 always felt that Brian was able for him. And so it was a play obviously, for Michael Kenny to, to switch it up, you know, a bigger, stronger um player in Brian McAvoy, still quite uh, mobile, obviously, you know, to trouble Sid, uh, which he did. And then obviously DJ so Obviously, the the the, the farm hurler in in Ireland for for a number of years at that stage looked like he might be able to really trouble Kevin Martin, but Kevin Martin gave him, uh, you know a, a savage performance that day, yeah. Just shutting down Kerry. You know. He was absolutely outstanding, Kevin Martin. Outstanding, yeah, have him you
0: know have him down in my performance of the weekend uh, list. But here's the thing on Brian Whelan and the switch to wing forward first, and then the switch to full forward. Like I mean. I don't know like I mean Brian McAvoy only got two points off him now because his third point was off diagonal, and Whelan had, say, had cleared one off the line and McAvoy's first point that came from a throw-in ball where Brian Whelan was lining up beside Charlie Carter to actually contest the throw-in ball and the referee threw to two other lads and uh, Brian McAvoy ended up getting the point which was not Brian Whelan's fault now I've seen worse roastings,
2: um, in my life yeah and kind of if you talk to anyone about that, I'll They all say, "Oh, Brian McFay roasted Brian." Yeah, it, you're you're a hundred percent right. When you look back, you know, analytically at that game, he didn't. You know, okay, he 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 got a couple of shots off, but you're you're right. If you actually analyze the moments, you know, you know, it was like he was catching ball and and turning them inside out, and and no. he was being opportunistic. And you know, fair play. To him. That's what you want half forwards to do. So he was troubling from from that perspective, but you know he he was, he didn't get the roast and the kind of is the is the urban legend that's out there
0: yeah well that's it and if michael bond if brian Whelan hadn't been sick that day, michael bond wouldn't have moved him Do you
2: know he, you know it was oh, just yeah, that the, the, 100%, sick, the sickness
0: yeah. the sickness was in bond's head when he saw him getting one or two and again yeah. like we said michael bond wasn't
2: afraid to make the
0: changes pretty quickly
2: no he wasn't and, and even michael diggin coming back you know he obviously was more renowned as a, a forward or even a midfielder, but hadn't hurled extensively in the half-back line. He was moved back there briefly, you know, during the Clare games at, at, in the in one, in one of the drawing games, and maybe the, the replay. Um, so, he, he, but he wasn't, you know, used to hurling a huge amount um, in, in the half-back line, particularly for Offaly, maybe. And, uh, you know, so that was a, a big move, but... You know, he had a fantastic second half, in particular, because yeah, he, he did he did shut down Brian McAvoy. You know, he did like, in the second half. Now,
0: McAvoy continued in the first half, giving Dignan trouble as well. Yeah,
2: yeah, but no, you're
0: right, Dignan uh, and Deignan scored a brilliant uh, point from play then at the very end and jumped in the air. Like I mean, yeah, he really kind of
2: Yeah. Ah, uh, very
0: good, yeah. But it was a brilliant, brilliant score because he cut that puck out and he, then he 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 played it into his hand and then threw it off the hurl
2: it from about halfway. So there was a lot of yeah. a lot of skill involved in that. There was because he went a good, you know, he went diagonally obviously. So he went a good forty meters on the solo run, you know, and yeah. broke tackles and you know caught the initial poke out as you said. And it was a, it was a brilliant score and it was it was probably just the icing on the cake. It was, you know, I knew awfully were you know, the one that game. But you forget how tight the game had become at that stage. Before, oh yeah, for that goal, you know, it wasn't for was, the goal you know, there was only two it, Yeah, yeah. 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 So, and Joe Erz, he you know, look, he turned it on for maybe three or four minutes and, and, and was absolutely brilliant goal and a couple of great or got a great pint from play straight afterwards but um, <laughs> he went to drop bucket which was a renowned skill in, in offly at the time that practice extensively but completely met the aims with caught the heel of the hurl but you know Brian just happened to be in the right place at the right time and, and shunted it into the line but brilliant brilliant moment obviously
0: yeah and arguably should have given it to Brian Whelan before he went for his own score altogether he was left inside on his
2: own Oh, probably should yeah being honest now look he, suppose he was bearing down and going he was inside or just coming to the 14 so he was he, he did have the shot on right um, but, but you know look you need look and that ball was going harmlessly wide you know, for Brian just happened to be in the, in the right place and you know look I suppose that's what all good um, players do to make it look yeah. so simple and just happen to be there so we talked about that at the breaking ball um, in, in last week's show so it just it was one of those moments where Brian just happened to be there yeah,
0: no, there's no doubt. Like I mean, Erity, you're right in the second half. He arguably had as big an impact as Brian Whelan in that second half because at a really crucial stage, he got the goal and then followed it up with a point and made the other goal. Was there an element of barging about his goal? I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to rain on any parades here, uh, Brian. But like I mean, he just ran straight into Kyo and I think the Kenny wing back. And on another day, you could arguably
2: say he just ran straight at him. Yeah. Oh, he definitely did. But I suppose that was. It was probably the way the game was played a lot more at the time. You know, once, once I think he didn't knock over Keown I think that was yeah. a big. T- you know, he he it looked just more like the two of them stood each other up, and you know it was an attempt to at drop hook as well. I don't know if he actually got the the drop on it, but he he caught it just at at the ground anyway. And, it was a brilliant finish, but uh, Joe Dermody probably would have been a little bit disappointed because you know there was a great angle where the, where it's coming from in the goal, and Joe Dermody has his hand in the post and he he keeps it he keeps tight to that post, but almost too tight because if he had been you know t- t- took another yard to his right, he possibly could have covered that shot into the bottom corner, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I w- probably flew past them fairly quick. There was a great moment in the second half from an Offaly point of view. I think it, Offaly defenders were outstanding in the second half. Kilkenny were very disappointing, but there was a, a moment with Offaly where they swarmed DJ um, out of it. He couldn't get a shot off. It was Kevin Martin and a few more around him. And then it broke out to Charlie Carter and Simon Whelan blocked him down. And then I think he blocked him down a second time. Or Kevin Martin blocked down twice. And then Simon yeah. Whelan blocked down Charlie Carter that was when Offley's tails started getting up, and you're almost like, jeez Kilkenny. Uh, uh, you see, again, you're coming off Offley, coming through this incredible championship, and Offley only needed a, a small spark, you know, to say, or Kilkenny to go, geez, their names really are on this.
2: Yeah, and that was a really iconic moment you're you're actually talking about there because the crowd, you could hear them really yeah. respond to it as well. And you're right, like the, the forced DJ back, three of them I think it was Kevin Keenan and then maybe Hubert Rigney and Kevin Martins you said, and they forced him back and then it came out to Carter and it looked like he was gonna get a score, kinda of what Kenny always do, you know, they take the pressure and they still score and Simon with a brilliant block down and you know, he, he ended up kicking it out over the ground but or out over the line but and then from the next play then as well, DJ breaks inside and you know a brilliant hand pass across, but Brian McAvoy hits it wide and you know goes harmlessly wide, and he just kind of got a sense there that you know awfully were they were doing it right there, you know that they were the, that hunting and packs it was relentless and it was just what what you needed it to be, um, you know at the time, and Simon had a, a had a fierce habit of. Uh, kneeling on the ball um, and he got away with it because he was so small and back then it wasn't a free it was just a throw in so he, right. he, you know it, it was a great thing to be doing at the time you know he exploited a, a little thing in, in the rule book where he just you know if it fell near his feet at all and he, he knew he was under pressure get down over it and you know then it got a you know a throw in allowed all the backs to reset so um, you know he was he was tigerish from, from that perspective but uh you know, offley did defend very, very stoutly in that second half and it wasn't probably until that, that penalty, which in hindsight was a brilliant penalty to give away from Martin Henry, He'd <laughs> have been a straight red nowadays, you know, he pulled the helmet clean off Peter's leg. Oh my leg. God. Yeah, he could have know, pulled the head off him. Pull, you know, that's a real dangerous one obviously, but uh, he did what he needed to do, you know, because it, it probably would have been a certain goal if it had been play on and, you know, uh, I thought Brian Whelan came back um, from full forward to, to go on the line. 11, yeah, But lovely verbals to PJ Delaney, you know, just, and, and that, you know, what's the name of that DJ? But it was enough to be just trying to unsettle what was going on in around that area at the time and took his time about going back into the goal. And, um, you know, Brian was a brilliant competitor from that perspective. And, you know, he'd do whatever it took to win it. And, you know, DJ's shot, it was always fine over the bar, never seemed to be anywhere near close to staying. Um, underneath the crossbar, and Stephen was no, I mean, in the form of his life. I think he even yeah. would have fancied it because if you look back at the replay, like Stephen's hurl was up, it was, you know, he he would have fancied himself.
0: Did like I mean, you'd have to say DJ was a huge disappointment in the game. Like I mean, was he in his prime at this stage? He he was because he stayed going for a good few more years. Like I mean, um, we think it was the All Ireland final against Clare. What year was that? Two thousand and one or two, where he got Ooh. the point off the Hurley, and like he was still class then. So, like, imagine in 98, this was a huge letdown in a
2: performance from DJ in an All-Ireland final. Yeah, and look, look, DJ Kerry's one of the best hurlers I've ever seen and um, exceptional player. But he didn't have a great record for a, for a few of the All-Irelands. You know, in 93, he was reasonably quite He was good in 92 against Cork, reasonably quiet against Galway for his standards in right. 93. 98 you know he was very quiet and 99 he was very quiet against cork but in 2000 he made up for all that he 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 was absolutely excellent against Offaly when when they murdered Offaly in 2000 and uh, that was a real watershed moment probably for DJ on an individual um level and obviously as you said he was brilliant again against Clare in 2002 so um yeah there was obviously that kind of sense or feeling at the time that DJ didn't hurl well in all Ireland you know so yeah uh, but he met up for it in time. That's all great hurlers do. Yeah, no, exactly. Johnny Dooley was wasn't really
0: in the game. He was it was interesting. He was being taken off, um, which was in a huge call for Johnny Dooley to be taken off until Billy Dooley got injured, and then that that uh, saved him. They took Billy off instead. So, like, I mean, that you know, if you were told before the game that Johnny Dooley wasn't going to uh, wasn't going to play well, and that Brian Whelan was dying
2: with the flu, <laughs> they're, they're your two talismen. Yeah, like I didn't think Johnny was that bad. I kind of it was hard to tell how, was he injured or not. It seemed to be some kind of implication that he was injured. Um, you know, he missed a routine point for him in the first half. You know, Johnny Pilketon, brilliant vision, saw him in acres of space, and you'd expect Johnny to slot that. Um, but I still thought he was doing pretty okay from midfield. I, I thought awfully midfield. You know got the better of it. Maybe not dominated, but, you know, got the better of the exchanges with Philly Larkin and Peter Barry and um, Johnny Pilkington, you know, he, he dropped deep and covered his half-back line a huge amount, particularly in that yeah, second half. He had half. a good
0: second half. Yeah, he
2: had a good yeah. second half. I thought, thought there was a great moment when he burst through
0: Johnny Pilkington and scored a really inspirational point and Philly Larkin was like, up
2: yours, and he went yes, down, the right. thing, down the very same thing down the other end of the field. But they had a good battle. Like, I mean, um, did a good but battle, but I thought I thought the boys just just about shaded it, you know. And I, he, I Johnny did get taken off just at the very end. John Ryan came on from actually, and oh. um, complete opposite type of hurler. John was about six foot three and about eighteen, well maybe seventeen stone, and he was an animal of a player. Um, had a brilliant performance, for Offaly in, in two thousand against Cork when when Offaly beat the Cork when they were the Ireland champions, but um. John, um, he actually won the breaking ball, which led to the very last goal. So it's amazing how these small things can have a bearing on the game. He he offloaded it to Joyeerty, who ran through that you know had that drop up that, that ended up with Brian finishing to net. So, um, you know, Johnny, he wasn't probably at at his best. He was moved to midfield, and you know, interestingly, he was taken off the freeze that year then as well because you know John Troy started on him in the Ireland. He missed a routine one in that in that uh second half and you seen him point straight away. The minute the second he he, he missed it, he, he was pointed to Brian Heal and was in full forward. Brian, you know, you take the freeze because you know, I think that was he spoke volumes for John too. He he, he realised that, you know, it was it was a chore to hit the freeze that day. Which yeah. you know he, that that he, can he, happen, you know.
0: Yeah. He had two wides at the start of the second half. One was from play and one was from That's right. From and a simple a chance
2: from play. Yeah yeah. he's left and it was it was a dangerous moment because Brian Whelan was all on his own. There was half a goal chance on, and he probably did the right thing to try and take a point. But you know it was a simple point scoring and miss, and you know he he was rattled. You know when he went out to take that free, he kind of he kind of looked at the linesman and said, "I should be another couple of yards closer here." You know, so I've been there myself when you're when you're not in good form hitting frees, and every yard counts. And you know he missed it, and you know he, he got Brian to hit them. But you know I I think that to me there's nothing wrong with that because you're you're not passing the book really you know you're you're acknowledging that um, you know you, you're forcing it and it is better if someone else takes up the mantle and look Brian Whelan there was no one better to, to take it up than him you know
0: no he actually he, he gave him to Brian Whelan and, but he took one more after that because Whelan was, was actually yeah, found his in, ankle yeah. was stepped on yeah and he took, he took that that was an unmissable one anyways but uh, yeah we'll mention Brian Whelan we'll come back with performance at the weekend and we'll talk a, a little bit more about him
2: Yeah, we, I, we do, yeah. We have a farm back home, so we have, we have a big farm back home and we have, we have uh, cattle and sheep and we have a few donkeys as well, so um, we with a couple of Philly donkeys. Uh, so I brought them down and so we did we actually sold them
1: to... Uh, I think I had four donkeys on the day and we sold them to a man from Westwood, so we did. So
2: there, there's the polyball donkeys, so there are, and there's the, the traditional <laughs> donkey and there's the, the Spanish donkey and then there's the... Spanish uh, donkey? Yeah, you see, you see them on the, on the beach, the beaches, never and so um, yeah you can actually one time one time the, the donkey was useless right? but now some people have started to get back into them because you can use them for headage and uh, it's used towards your would we'll say your bonuses, your grants. a donkey a donkey in eat, eat a donkey is a pallet
0: okay performance of the weekend and look let's cut to the chase here we know who's going to win this but we'll run through <laughs> players who played well um in the game as well we'll start with Brian Whelan who is the winner we're going to announce the winner at the very start because he was hard it was, uh, it was just phenomenal and like i'm i genuinely think that he wasn't doing that badly at wing back he scored a long range free he had put in that lovely ball into Ereti and he cleared the ball off the, off the goal line. Like, I mean, I, I know this is Brian Whelan, but for a lot of players, you'd be starting in all Ireland fairly well at that stage. Now, McAvoy had sniped him for one point. Then I said the other one from the throw-in, that wasn't his fault. And maybe he got out ahead of him maybe one or two other balls. But, like, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say he was getting roasted at all. Then he went to wing forward and he got two points or he got a, a lovely point from play. And he played full forward, Brian, like a full forward, like his point from the sideline from John Shride, it was a, he may, he turned there like he was going to go off his left and then came back, or he's going to, yeah, we're going to go off his yeah. right and then turn back around his left side. Like that's textbook, uh, number 14 play.
2: Oh, brilliantly. Like, but just his hurling ability is just, it's, it, it's phenomenal. And look, I've no doubt in saying this, he's the best I've ever played with. He, he just was, um, Brilliant. He was so fast, you know. People don't appreciate how fast he was, because um, he had that kind of languid style. He just kind of looked to be just moving in slow motion, I suppose, as all great players, you know, um, do. But and looked to have so much time on the ball. But he was he was lightning fast, and that's why he was able to mark the likes of DJ and these players, because he was able to stay into them and cover huge ground. As you said, when he went up into the forward line, he was just so fleet footed. He turned on a six for that point in the first half. He did the same with his sidestep of Tom Hickey to set up John Try. And he, I just thought the point he got in the second half where, you know, he, he looked to go on his left and just swung him back around and and threw two defenders one way and just, you know, opened it up to loads of space and slotted it over on his right side. I just thought that was one of those moments where you just go, oh my God, you know, it's just beautiful to watch. Um, yeah. and I, I just he's exceptional honestly I I can't I can't stress that enough
0: you know and the ball stuck to him too like I mean he won two frees then in the second half on top of his 1-6 now he took one of them you know but Troy took the other like I was saying the second free he won like that was just a dribbly ball along the ground that he slid out and and, you know it stuck to him and he was fouled so like I mean it was an all around brilliant brilliant performance and like I don't know like was he wasted as a wing back when you see him playing like that
2: (laughs) Um, look he obviously progressed as years went on he progressed up up into the forwards and, and um, particularly for Boer, uh hurled a bit up there for Offley and went up full forward on occasion hurled once for midfield for offley as well but he was just he was the best halfback in the game for, for a number yeah. of years and he's just his performances in, in, in the big games were, were second to none he has a, a crazy statistics um, where he's been man of the match and I think it's I could be wrong, there's something like six out of eight All-Irelands or something like this. It's Jesus. just f- phenomenal now. Um, you know, he he just rose to the occasion on, on the big days and like on, on the club scene here back in Offaly, like there was no one to, to touch him. He was just, um, my my one memory of Brian always is, you know, a ball maybe in, in the square and there's hurls flying everywhere and Brian would just run in pick the ball up with, he, with his hurl and his foot if you, if you know the skill I'm talking right. about and just saunter out of the defence as if there was no one he was only out for a, a jog like and just clear it down the field and just um, he just as I said was on, was on a different level and, was, and showed he was capable of hurling anywhere so should he been was he wasted halfback I don't think so because he was just so dominant there for, for so many years I just don't think there was anyone to come near him
0: yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Joe Erity I think, made a huge impact on the game. A point in the first half uh, went out in Canis Brennan, obviously, because Canis Brennan was completely dominating. Now Canis continued to win a few puckouts, but then Erity scored
2: uh, scored one one off, him which was the changing of the game. Yeah, it definitely was, and you know, put, put awfully in a real strong foothold. And as we said, Canis Brennan was totally dominant up to that point. Um, you know, Joe had gone out in him, but hadn't had much look off him. Um, but got the goal and then after, the point after it was was a brilliant Brilliant point. Brilliant brilliant. A break off a hooker. Yeah, and you just, you kind of got a sense it was going to be off his day when you see a point like that and it it was straight as a die. There was no just barely dropping in and over the bar. That was a a fantastic score Um, and as you said, you know, he, he set up the last goal for a finish too so as you said, Big big bearing in that game. One of the best games I think Joe Ardie ever put in in jersey, you know. And I'll be it up in the forward line because obviously Joe was more renowned as a, as a full-back fullback um, for for Burr down through the years, you know. So, really? Oh yeah, Joe was a, a, a much more um, renowned defender. Uh, he went up in the forwards to maybe to serve a purpose to, to break up play and, and, and right. all that side of things. So yeah, now he he did it for, as need be for for Burr, Um when he had to but uh, yeah a much more accomplished um, back than a forward Right very interesting if Brian Whelan hadn't been played hadn't played so
0: much that Joe Erity performance would have gone down you know been talked about for, for years as well because he like that he was just outstanding but like we mentioned Canis Brennan he would some man to catch a ball there's no doubt about that absolutely Pat O'Neill was a great man to catch a ball too not the most mobile fullback in the world there's the the the, the bang of kush off him
2: um, yeah but Paul Neill was, was a more renowned centre back and he was right. that he was coming you know he wasn't very mobile was, mobile was he no and you see he was pushed back into full back that year so that was probably he was a square peg in a round hole he was a much more happier playing centre back he was a, a brilliant hurler for Cairns and Kilkenny down through the years at centre back and was much happier there um, and, you know and just was prepared to do whatever it took, but he was sniped for when you look back in that game analytically as well. He was sniped for quite a number of points because Toyerty yeah. got one off him in the first half, so too to Joe Dooley, and then obviously Brian got a couple in the second half. and The goal for finish was supposed was, wasn't much he could do about that goal. So, um, but
0: he was he wasn't interested in marking, like he was great to catch no. a ball that came in and clear it, but he was there for the taking as a as uh, you
2: know, uh, as a full back because he, he didn't look like he could get around the field at all. No, and um, look he was probably coming towards the end of his career anyway. So and, and as I said, he was much more at home playing centre back where he probably would have hurled a, a much freer or looser role where he, you know, sat in the pocket and, and hit ball and you know, you seen him come out to hit at 65 there at one stage. He was a brilliant long-range free taker as well. And even in the first half, actually, DJ won a free himself when he came to centre forward and turned round and, and showed the ball back to Pat O'Neill. <laughs> but it was probably too far for Pat to come out. Um, from full back to hit it at that particular stage so DJ ended up hitting it himself and hitting it wide so um, that'll show you just the regard that the likes of DJ he was obviously the same club mate as Pat O'Neill Young Ireland scoring so it just shows the high regard that he had for the likes of Pat O'Neill
0: Yeah no exactly we mentioned Kevin Martin he never gave DJ a sniff and DJ was moved around all sorts of uh, positions but it was the first half I suppose where he completely blotted DJ out and if Kilkenny thought they were going to move him move DJ across see I would have had in my head, you'd know it obviously a lot better than me. that Kevin Martin would be a much better fella to spoil a lad than Brian Whelan, who you'd want to do a bit more hurling. I didn't know the record Brian had over DJ, but they were they were definitely barking up the wrong tree, thinking putting DJ over and
2: Kevin Martin. He was going to he was going to make hay. Yeah, well, you see, I suppose they would have looked at it, and of the halfback line, they would have thought that. Kevin was the weakest link, but lo and behold, they were backing up the wrong tree, as you said, with that one. Because Kevin was also an All Star 94, a brilliant hurler. Strong, very, you know, he's tall, strong in the air, very yeah. fast, also, you know. Um, so, you know he he just probably wasn't on the same level as Brian Whelan but who was so you know yeah. you we know, were saying he was the lesser of the three it, it wasn't saying much you know because it was a brilliant half back line for offley because Hubert rigney he was tough as nails at center back you know he was a real old school center back but noticeably for offley in that second half did some brilliant flicks you know last gaps Defending, you might call it, but just at the right time. Kevin Martin did it, Kevin Keenan did it, just as someone might be looking to go past them or, or flick a ball by them. They just got the flick on it at the right time. Um, it was brilliant sticksmanship, I thought, from Offley. Yeah, no, it definitely was.
0: I, I, like, I mean, Brian McAvoy deserves a mention for the first half, but his second half performance oh, is just ruined it on himself. Like, I mean, he three bad second half wides, wasn't really in the game. You're right, Dignan got on top of him, and I'm not sure does he even deserve a performance of the weekend nomination. It, it's, there's not too many Kilkenny players putting their hands up for these nominations other than Canis Brennan.
2: No, I, I, I think you're right. Being honest, um, you know, the, they didn't hurl anywhere near the level probably that they were capable of. You see, so and almost it was kind of fate that off you were going to win that after the, you know, the, the, the matches they were after playing against Clare. And then obviously Kilkenny had, you know, beaten awfully comprehensively in that Leinster final and probably felt they had it over awfully at that particular case but you know awfully just totally dominated in, in most facets of the game but still Kenny hung in there and you know awfully struggled to put them away Yeah,
1: um,
2: you know but you're right not too many of them hurled much more than a, a 6 or a 7 out of 10 when you, when you go back and analyse their performances
0: and it's like I mean, when you think about it, it's it, it is a rare game in that you could pick loads of awfully good performances. Kilkenny didn't play well. This was a brilliant awfully team as well. And there was two points in it until the Brian yeah. Whelan goal with and that was with two minutes to go. How did Kilken like suppose Kilkenny deserve credit for staying in a game where they were dreadful?
2: Yeah. And there was actually a real subdued atmosphere there with a couple of minutes to go as well. You would never have thought that like, you know, awfully on the cusp of winning this All Ireland. You know, there were Maybe they were the awfully crowd, and I was up there myself, obviously. But maybe with that fear almost of of being pipped again by Kilkenny, it right? And feel like you know that you know it's here, it's for our grasp, and it probably wasn't until that goal went in that it kind of really set home that we were actually going to do it, and yeah, you know, um, and actually beat Kilkenny. But you're right; you have to give Kilkenny credit that they they kept in that game, and I think I think you mentioned a, a very um appropriate point where, where Philly Larkin scored at that point where you know he wasn't in the game much but he got, got a brilliant score and pulled Kilkenny back into it. Kenny O'Shea was having a good battle with Martin Hanamey um in the corner because 'cause he, he had sniped him for a couple of points and Stephen Byrne yeah. had a brilliant save from in the first half as well. So, you know, Martin probably just O'Shea shaded but still Kenny O'Shea got a, a, a couple of points and Kevin Keenan was doing a great job on whoever came near him. You know, he started on PJ's lane, he smothered them really well. But Kevin Keenan was was brilliant, and I know this from playing against myself. If he felt he couldn't get to the ball in front of you, he then gave you four or five yards to go win the ball. And when you had the ball won, next minute you looked up at this giant, and it was like, (laughs) where do I go now? Because he's given you that four or five yards to come on, run at me. Because if you're, you've already the ball in your hand, you have only one more catch. If you run at him and you try to run into him, he'll smother you up with his hands. So then you have your second play. You know, you have your second catch because you have to take the catch in the tackle. And you'd know where to go. He he was so big, you couldn't strike over your shoulder because he'd get the block down. So he he really had it down to a T in terms of his defending from that perspective. And uh, if he realised he, he wasn't going to win it, he just, he let you win it. So it it, it might strike people that, you know, oh, he was lagging behind. He wasn't. He knew exactly what he was doing
0: there. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Right. I suppose other mentions: Diagnan, Pilkington in the second half, especially Simon Whelan, even though Charity got a goal off him, um, that was there was an element of luck to that. Well, it was from a, a monster puck out actually against the wind. If that was against the wind, it landed maybe on the on the the twenty-one. I thought Simon Whelan was very good. Ah, you could name a good few awfully offly players uh, that played that played outstanding or that played very well. But Brian Whelan, like you can't look past his performance in Nallor and Final 1-6 after being moved and after having the flu um, and all these things. And interesting that Joe Dooley said that he didn't know Brian Whelan was sick and um, that they kept it that quiet. I suppose that psychologically that's the last thing the team wanted to hear was that Brian wasn't feeling well. So was Michael Bond
2: and Brian kept that kept that pretty quiet. Yeah, and look, the talisman that Brian was, and he was a great Character as well as everything, and he's a very strong individual. Obviously, and he do- he dominated the dressing room. You know, he was a brilliant talker inside the dressing room. He wasn't afraid to make switches, particularly for Burr. Um, you know, he dominated on the field, the mid switches, on as he saw fit, and had that kind of understanding with with obviously his father, Pajo When he was manager, and other managers took over, but uh, you know, he 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 was the go-to man from an offy perspective. They they had brilliant hurlers, obviously, in Brilliant individuals, but Brian was head and shoulders above everyone else. From that, like a brilliant leader, and had so such high expectations of himself and all the players around him. You know, he he could get anarchy if people didn't consistently play to those, um, you know, high levels. But uh, the thing about it is, you know, often he had this perception as being this team, you know, the party team, and you know. You know, they hear the stories about Johnny Pilkington and John Troy smoking fags at halftime in the dressing room or in the dressing room and, you know, and joined a few pints. But these guys were serious hurlers. Like, they they, they didn't win All Ireland just by chance. You know, they were, they loved to kind of have this idea out there that they were, you know, happy go lucky in their approach to hurling, yeah. But they were terrific competitors. You know, Johnny Pilkin was one of the best midfielders of, of any generation and was, was a, a brilliant hurler and, and was a brilliant athlete as well. Um,
1: Ah yeah, but back, they, back then, they
2: were quite happy though to have this yeah. kind of talk out there that, that they didn't really take the hurling serious. Right, right. But back then, listen, the way I look at
0: it, back then everybody enjoyed a pint, but everyone trained really hard. If you're a ser- any sort of an intercounty player, you enjoyed hard training, but you enjoyed you enjoyed celebrating as well. I think it was called bur- like I suppose burning the candle at both ends. Everybody was at it. I suppose if a few stories get out, then one county is seen you know as more than now obviously Pilkington was uh, a great character but I'd say it was a, a lot of counties were similar and still are um, similar in that regard come here to finish up you've started up a podcast yourself there you're not a competitor of the GR hurling show anyways. more of a a complimentary podcast I'd say right <laughs>
2: Ex- exactly Wooly. thanks very much yeah no <laughs> I started up a, a hurler's life a pure hobby from my perspective um, just interviewing past hurlers you know some of the greats of the game and with John Milan on the other day and with Anthony Daly and Jackie Turl to come up and um, you know, just great bit of chat and talking about some of the regrets and best managers they played under and you know to pick the best six they ever played with and one from each line so great hurling chat you know that's all I wanted from it was you know as I said it's a hobby for me and I love talking about hurling and what better to talk to some of the players maybe that I played against or maybe some of the managers that I came up against so you know it's just just enjoyment from my perspective. Brilliant stuff. So what gave, gave us the name of it again? A Hurler's Life.
0: A Hurler's Life. OK, so get subscribing to A Hurler's Life. But the our hurling show first. It has to be. Uh, <laughs> it has uh, to then. be. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, Brian. Great stuff. Thanks very it much really for today. To I'm going to leave you with uh, one of the all-time classic gaA songs, um, considering awfully, uh won the All-Ireland this year.
1: When the ball's in the sky in Crow Park in July, that's Jodulee. When the ball's in the air, who's that man in the square, that's Jodulee. What a boy, pride and joy of Uvali. He's in gold, white and green from the fields of Clarine, that's Jodulee.
2: And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so I opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm
1: heartbroken. I let it
2: go,